Your, your job is not to worry about what the other person is doing in worship. Your job is to be worshiping God. Welcome to another edition. Of, sorry. <laughs> this is going to be a hard one. All right, here we go. Take, take two. Welcome to another edition of Resisting Pretense today. What are you doing? Stop. <laughs> I We moved it further away from you so you couldn't reach the buttons. But I like to push All buttons. Right. All right. Uh, I have no idea where we're at. We're Round three. Round <laughs> three. No, we'll, we'll keep all that. Uh, we are here to have honest conversations about a life of faith in modern culture and maybe even inspire some faith-filled conversations in your life. And today, talking about worship wars. What does that mean to you, Scott? I think you need to put the disclaimer on this first. Oh, yeah. The, the disclaimer for this episode is uh, I I hope we intend to be equal opportunity offenders. Um, <laughs> meaning I don't care what side of the war you're on. We probably have something to say that might push a button or two. Oh, that ties into your pushing you button. Go. Nice. It was yeah. all part of the, it was all planned. It's a God thing. Hmm. <laughs> Which reminds me, thank you to our unofficial sponsor, Diet Coke, for allowing us to buy your product and, uh, and, and to consume it, it out of our pocketbooks <laughs> and feature it on our podcast. <laughs> we appreciate you having sued us. Yet. There we go. That's, that's good. Hopefully you never will. That's right. So we're talking about worship wars. Mm -hmm. And um, in my mind, it's, it's this argument, whether it's subconscious or just silently conscious or verbally conscious. These are all new conscious. words. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think sometimes people will, will be in a worship service and they'll think all these things. Oh yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't mm -hmm. come out of their mouth, which I'm very grateful for. Yeah. <laughs> but I also think that there are people that these wars come out and, and they're, they're thinking it and then they bring it forward and there's really no basis for it other than, it's what I don't like. And it really has nothing to do with worship as much as it does with my, my comfort or my, so when I think about worship wars, it's the, the different arguments of why, why the worship service was good or not good or why I didn't like it. And, and it's all very subjective and not really very worshipful. Yeah. You're, I mean, it's, it's the war of preference really. Like, did I, did I get what I prefer in a worship service? The term worship wars goes back. And the first time I heard it was in like the 1980s. And it was a big deal in the 1980s. People were talking about the worship wars. I remember um, that was a time in my life where I was very involved in music ministry, worship ministry. And I remember getting a, like a, a, a trade magazine. And the title of that issue of the magazine was worship wars. And, and the war in the 1980s specifically and it's not that it's gone away but it's it's not i don't hear this as much about it now but the war in the 1980s was hymns versus contemporary music and these people you know there were there were people who were adamantly opposed to contemporary music replacing hymns in the worship life of the church some people who were adamantly opposed to to singing hymns at all because they were, you know, they were a, a part of a traditional past that, that they felt was no longer relevant to this. I mean, so you had people like, and at times being very ugly 
about their disagreements and, you know, kind of challenging each other's faith, um, particularly, I think, on the, the, on the side of the hymn proponents. Sometimes they were saying, you know, you don't even believe in the, in the kind of the core Christian faith, like you're, you're walking away from the faith and people on the other side, on the contemporary music side, were saying, you don't want to reach lost people. You don't care about lost people because they don't want to listen to your hymns. And I, it, there were at times it was ugly and contentious. And I feel like there were some, some ways through it. There were a lot of people who, who felt like both were okay in churches and some churches embraced blended worship where you have a little bit of each, you know, some of each and some in some sort of measure. And that, that ensured that nobody was entirely happy. Um, <laughs> was funny. And we do a little bit of that here at, at our place. We typically include at least a one, one older hymn in, in our worship and and in part it's because we have people that that's what they grew up with and it's a way for them to engage and um but most of our music is contemporary and i think the vast majority of churches today have have begun to embrace more contemporary worship it's interesting that though i i feel like that the war has changed in the sense that if the music doesn't move me emotionally then the Holy Spirit must not be present. So mm. this must not be. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, Oh, there's so much to this topic. <laughs> so much. I mean, there's that. There's honestly the in the in the scope of like the whole 1980s thing, like contemporary Christian music, the Chris Tomlins, Matt Redmonds, mm. David Crowder, the, you know, the Hill Song, the all the all of that has become almost today's traditional music. Mm-hmm. And then there's people making Christian rap music and hip hop. And I mean, there's whole new genres of music coming into the Christian space that now today's contemporary church is like, I can't worship to that. Like, and there's a whole new, I mean, this, the 1980s, 1980s argument is beginning to recycle mm. because there's these, these forms of music that have never really been actively used in church life that are now kind of, you know, I, I don't think we've yet, I don't, I can't recall us doing a worship song that had a, even a rap section in it. Except for Ridge kids. Yeah. Our kids, our, our kids, kids have done some stuff and, yeah. and we've done that as like a side, like our kids came into to adult church mm-hmm. and they played that song. And, but because it was kind of like, a kid's presentation. Nobody really said anything that I heard. Well, I don't know. I would venture to guess this is true, but no time in history have we had so many generations still alive. Yeah. In the same time frame. With so much variety of With musical so preference. Mu- yeah. Right? And so, you know, in, in past church history, most of the older people died out before there was a new generation coming in with a new genre of music. Well, and then they used to say that a generation was about 30 years, and, and now they're saying it's anywhere from three to five because of the change in technology. And so we have this, we have, we still have the hardline hymners. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're just making up words all over today. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. So we have the we have the hardline people that say hymns are the only way, mm-hmm. and then we have, and we have some hardline people that say no, contemporary is the only way. And now we have a new generation coming up saying, I like the rap. I like the the difference in in how music moves me. Mm-hmm. And so our war is much more compact because of this this tightness of generations. I think. Yeah, and. You know, there are a lot of people, I'm sure that attend, you know, we, we've never really used hip hop music in, you know, which would include a lot of kind of hip hop R&B plus, you know, maybe shades of it, but never really used hip hop music and or rap in our adult worship services. But we have a bunch of people that that's what they listen to. Mm Mm-hmm. Like during the week for, for they're just in entertainment, they're listening to hip hop rap, maybe some Christian, some secular. Um, and I think we've got, you know, music is a, is kind of heart language. It's emotional language and, and it's specific to culture. And so, you know, kids that grow up expressing their heart and thoughts and emotions through rap and hip hop are going to want to express their faith through that same medium. And at some point the church has, has to keep adapting to new forms of music because the, the music itself, the form of the music itself, there's nothing right or wrong about it. I just had this interesting thought and I don't know if it's true or not, but I'd be curious to, to hear what you have to say. Because I'm sure I have a strong opinion on the matter. <laughs> well, I don't even know if it's an opinion thing. I was just thinking about though, that if, if you went to a Spanish church and you heard the Spanish worship, mm-hmm. you probably wouldn't be offended by it. Right. Because, and you might even engage in it. I have it no saying, context. Yeah. This is really cool. I am yeah, so, this is amazing that this is, and yet that is not what happens if it's in English, if it's in our, our home language. Yeah. <laughs> then we're all judgmental. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Isn't it? I, and that may be the same in other other cultural churches. I don't know. I just, I find that interesting that yeah. I, that that's a difference. So no, I have, I have really strong opinions about worship related issues. Cause I spent like 20 years in worship ministry as a worship pastor. And it's a, it's a big deal to me. So, um, let's talk a little bit about some of the things you mentioned preference mm-hmm. of like musical preference of style, whether it's him or country or, or kind of, you know, contemporary Christian. Southern rock, gospel. Southern gospel. We got a guy in our church that like every time we we have, we lean into electric guitar, like he's happy. Um, <laughs> and That's Southern rock. <laughs> yeah. But you know, like he wants to hear that, like that he grew up with that. And that's, and, and he's not he's not cranky about other music, but that's just, that's what grabs his heart and his attention. But so there's preference, Mm -hmm. style preference. There is, um, issues around quality. Oh yeah. About, yeah. (laughs) Wow. That was packed with meaning. (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, there's, I think on my door, it says mm -hmm. complaint department. So, (laughs) so there's issues about, um, 
you know, worship wars about the quality of what's being produced. There's, there's worship wars about the, um, the response, like what's appropriate levels of response, like whether or not, you know, you have some people that are like, I wish people would simmer down a little bit. Um, Sorry. That's all right. Scott was clicking his mic. Um, probably can't hear that on the recording. I I could hear it. So, um, so I paused. Uh, there's worship wars about, um, you know, some people saying, I wish people would simmer down a little bit. I wish, and other people saying, you know, I wish people weren't so stoic and they, you know, it's kind of like they want a certain level of emotionality in the response, whether it's high or low. Um, how dare you sit during a, during a oh, worship yeah. set? Like getting sideways glances because, because somebody sat down during worship and I'm like, I don't care. Like if your legs are tired, sit down. If you, you know, to me, it, it's so, you, you cannot gauge the condition of a person's heart necessarily by, by their actions. It may be indicative, but it's not a one-to-one relation. Like somebody can sit down and be more engaged in worship than somebody who is standing and even raising their hand, you know, and expressing themselves. Because sometimes what they're expressing is maybe an emotionalism of the, of the music. They're responding to the music, but not necessarily to God. And you have, might have somebody who's like sitting down, apparently disengaged, not even singing along because something in the music made them want to stop and pray. And so I, it's just dangerous to, to assume that you know why a person is, is reacting the way, responding the way they are. Well, and to be offended by it, right? That's, that's the thing I don't understand is, is when people are offended by somebody who's not doing what my expectations of, mm. of people in worship should be doing, mm-hmm. you know, and it's kind of like, well, what does it matter to you? Your, your job is not to worry about what the other person is doing in worship. Your job is to be worshiping God. Yeah. You know, that you're, you're not even focused in the right area. If, if that's the situation. Yeah. You know, we have a, we had a worship night this last Sunday night and uh, my wife and I were kind of sitting towards the back and we have an older lady, um, and, and does not stand. I mean, even on stage, she doesn't stand for a long time. She's, she's usually in a chair and so on. Yeah. She's in our worship team. She's in our worship team. But yeah. she, that night she was just part of, of the audience, mm-hmm. but I'm watching this, this lady as she's got her hands raised, she's swaying back and forth. <laughs> I mean, you could just see that she was engaged yeah. in what God had done in her life. And everybody else, I mean, there were several people around her standing and I'm just thinking, how beautiful a picture is that, you yeah. know? And, um, you know, in some ways that's, I'm, I'm being hypocritical because I'm watching other people worship instead of worshiping myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I the, thought that was, that was just a beautiful sense for mm-hmm. me to go, you know what, this is what worship is about. Yeah. And there is a, there's another aspect of, of worship wars that ties into particularly to culture of what our mindset going, what is worship for? Like what's, what's my metric for, is this a good worship experience? Is this not? And, and what's the mindset I have even attending and engaging. And there's, 
there's different perspectives on that. So we could talk about mindset. We could talk about preference. We could talk about quality. Where do you want to start? What do you mean? Where do I want to start? We kind of hit it all on the bit. I know we can dig, but I think we need to drill down into some of these. You know, I think, I think that, that, um, boy, that's a tough one. Um, I think a lot of times, at least the conversations I have sit around the idea of a consumer mindset. It's, it's that Mm. idea of this isn't good enough for me to be here. So, all right. So we're going to dig in, we're going to drill down into mindset right now. And I always hear it with this link, not always, but I mean, I often hear it with this language, you know, what'd you think about worship? Uh, I don't know. I didn't get anything out of it this week. And there is a mindset behind that statement that the point of worship is for me to get something out of it. It is a, it is for my benefit, my edification. And certainly that is a, that is something that happens in worship. We often get something out of it. We get an experience with God that, that we feel like enriches our lives in some way. But the core basic thing that is happening in a worship service, the thing that, well, that is supposed to be happening <laughs> in a worship service if we're doing it right, is that God gets where God is the object. He's the, he is the, uh, yeah, he's the object of our worship. Um, and so I ultimately don't care if you got anything out of worship. Like I, I would like you to get something out of worship, but my metric and I think the metric, I'm, and this is where I'm like, very opinionated about this, but the metric is, did God get your worship? Did you devote yourself to him? I don't care whether you liked the music, didn't like the music. I don't care whether um, you you knew everything that was in the sermon or not. I don't care if any of the announcements applied to you. I don't like, I don't care about any of that. Did you get in there and devote yourself and your attention and your expression to God in a way that made him feel honored, respected, appreciated, like that is the point of worship, period. Everything else is byproduct. So we appreciate you coming and join us on, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. Uh, and I would love that to be, um, true in our idealistic world, but that's not true. That's not, and maybe it's the vernacular we use. Maybe what we do you mean to, it's not true. How can you agree with me and say it's not true? Well, I would love people to go and honor God and that be their intent and be that, but Oh, you say that's we would we would not have worship wars if that were completely true. So you're saying you agree with me, but that's not always happening. Right. Okay. Got right. It. Okay. Um and I think, you know, maybe we need to change the question. Because when we ask how was church or what did what what I don't know if what, what did you get out of church? Cause I don't mm-hmm. hear that question, but I hear a lot of times, Hey, how was worship today? How was it automatically asked the question? What did you think? Mm-hmm. Where if we ask the question, what, what did you get out of worship today? Or what did you get out of church today? Or how did you interact with God in church today? It changes it to say, Oh, it's not about me. 
Mm -hmm. It's not about, you know, and I think so many times, especially in this consumer world, and this is where because of all our technology, we can say, well, you know, you guys just don't sound like passion or like uh, elevation, elevation or Jesus. You're just not, you're just not as passionate. You're just not as emotional or (laughs) I'll just keep Maranatha. You just keep talking. I'll keep just like throwing out. (laughs) Maranatha. Hey, they're coming back, man. Crowder. All our young leaders are going, Mara who? Chris Tomlin for all the white people. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Is this idea, is this idea that, that we have, it's almost like the, I I don't like what you do because it doesn't compare to them. Mm-hmm. I don't care that you don't like what we do. You're not here to like what we do. You're here to worship God. Oh, and, Red Rocks worship. Red Rocks and, worship. Sorry, <laughs> I can't stop. <laughs> and I've heard the I've heard the concern in our church about you know well well sometimes our musicians aren't as good as as what we should be producing. Mm. And I'm like then you guys miss the point because our worship team is made up of people who are developing amazing talents and gifting. And the only way they get there is by being a part of the worship experience that they're in now. And if you look at us three years from now, you'll be amazed at how long, how much these people have come along. Right. And our job is not to give you the perfect experience. Our job is to worship God. We're dangerously close to talking about quality, and I want to talk about quality, but I think there's one other element of the consumer mindset that I don't want to let go of before we before we get deeper into quality because they are related. They're definitely related. Like I don't think you were off track, but newsboys, <laughs> worship mob. Um, <laughs> uh, the the consumer mindset is in part is like. I, how you view church, mm-hmm. like the whole thing, not just the worship service, but is church to you the provider of religious goods and services where you go and, and your allegiance to the, to church is only based on who's the best provider. Like what brand do I like the best? Do I, it matches my preferences, which is not necessarily a bad way to choose a church if you don't have one. But if you're part of a church, and ultimately, if you commit to a church, you're committing to an expression of family. It's you're not ex- you're not committing to a provider of religious goods and services. You're committing to a family that you're a vital part of, and that is very that's a you walk into worship differently. When you feel like when, when it is a mini family reunion gathered around, like it's, it's the music. I, I say this to worship leaders. When I train worship leaders, I said at, at its core, this is campfire. Like this is us sitting around a campfire, singing songs together. It's, it's nostalgic. It's emotional. It's, 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 it's relational singing together um now it's it's also you know they're wanting to do 
the best possible job they can. And, and, and there's more to it than that. But ultimately, like, we can't get this high and mighty. Like, it's, it has elements of a production, but it is not a show. It is not a production. Ultimately, it is a gathering of family to express our worship to God together. And when you think of church just as a provider of religious goods and services, you are missing out on most of the value of what church is. Mm-hmm. Um, church is not just a production. It's not just a show. It's family. Well, and in this day and age, you can go and get production anywhere. you know. And, and so we almost can a la carte church to the point of saying, well, I'm going right. to go to Hillsong for my worship, but I'm going over to Andy Stanley for my for my message mm-hmm. or I'm going, in fact, I ran into a guy the other day that, that he only, the church he claims to belong to is a church online. Mm. And it's like, do you have any relationships with anybody in that church? Is there, is there any kind of connection other than you pick up your phone every Sunday and, and look at it online, you know? And, and it's not that I don't think this guy is is not a believer. I can clearly see he loves Jesus and, and has a spiritual life. But when we a la carte out, we take out the relationships with brothers and sisters that is desperate. I loved what you said. It's that mini family reunion where worship of our God really is is impressive. It's the primary value of like the relationship part is the primary value of church. Um, like that guy, and I, it's not to dig on him, but to, like to to make the point. Who visits him in the hospital when he's sick? If his church experience is online and there's no there's no local relational connection, like who sits with him when he finds out that his his dad is dying of cancer? Who, like? Who brings him a meal when he's got pneumonia and he can't get out of bed? Who like that is what the church is designed to be, a place where we love and care for and support each other. And the things that we get out of it in terms of content, you know, in terms of teaching or or um experiences, those are those are additional nice things, but they are not the core, the root of the value of of being a part of a church. So yeah, um, our mindset of what we're doing when we walk in the door is a huge part of what, of what ends up being the worship experience. So, um, but that takes us into quality a little bit because you can go, you know, you can get unbelievably high quality, high production value stuff like, professional sound, video, lighting, professional voices, professional music. I mean, you you can get that at on demand. Mm-hmm. You can pull up YouTube videos of the best worship bands in the in the you know, in the world, in the country, you can, you can pull up elevation worship and Bethel worship and Hillsong worship. And you can get amazing stuff. And I, you know, and you can survey churches in your community and find the ones that are more like that. But again, I I think it's very dangerous that if our 
decisions about what family we're going to engage in are only driven by the production value of their weekly gathering. Ultimately, in my opinion, what family you engage in should be driven by where does God want you to be? Where does he want you to connect? And then that's your family. And if, if your family has mediocre musicians, enjoy the fact that they, that they love God and want to serve him and, and do that. And if you just, if you, if you yearn for the, the high quality engagement of, you know, these professional musicians that you might hear, then, then watch their videos or go to their concerts or, you know, supplement your, um, supplement your family experience with, um, with things that satisfy your preferences, but don't, don't use your preferences to choose your family. That's, that team, that to me seems backwards. Or don't use your preferences to leave your family. <laughs> Somebody just got stabbed. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I mean by that is that you may love what they're, what they're doing today. Six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, that's going to change. Mm-hmm. Churches never, they are a, a living, breathing entity. And so... They are going to go through transitions. You are not going to have the same pastor. You're lucky if you have the same pastor all your life. Mm-hmm. You are blessed if you have the same pastor all your life. But most churches go through their pastors about every three to five years. Some longer, some shorter. Um, the The praise band is going to change. We live in our particular area of, of the country. We are a transitional community. We have military coming in for about three years, and then they're sent off to their next base. We have teachers coming in, getting their their first experience in teaching, and then they're off to places where they can get paid more. Same thing with cops. Same thing with Border anchors. Patrol. Same thing with yeah. And so we are we are in a constant state of flux. transition yeah. and flux and that kind of thing. And so people who come to the church, they come because they love what the church stands for and what we do and how we connect with each other. And, you know, some weekends our worship is off the chain. Other, other weekends, I wonder if the chain's even there. (laughs) It's just, and it's, and it's nothing against our worship ministry. It's just the reality of even as a, even as a pastor, and you can speak to this much more than I can, but, there are weekends that your sermon is right on. There are other weekends you wonder who wrote that. <laughs> and if our church left always because, Ugh, well, that was a bad sermon. I'm leaving that nobody, you know, that's the point is that mm-hmm. you're, you are there to be part of the family reunion, not, and to worship God, not, not to be, um, Siskel and Ebert right. and, and, make, you know, be a, be a a critic. Well, and we have a particular value here that our church is a place where people develop. And I know some churches, particularly really large churches have a, a, I guess, a luxury that 
they don't they don't necessarily need to develop you. I, I wouldn't say that they don't want to. I don't I don't know any church that doesn't care about people growing and developing. But in really large churches, you know, churches that measure their attendance in the thousands, they have such a pool of people that when they say, hey, we want guitar players for our band, they probably have several high-quality guitar players. And so the person that's just learning, excuse me, the person that's just learning may have limited opportunities in church life because there's so many people that are already way further down the road than they are in their, in their craft, in their skill. In our church, we're not that large. Um, you know, we measure in, in the several of hundreds, not thousands. And so when we are bringing people into worship ministry, um, and you know, so part of it's our size, but part of it's our value system. Um, our intent is like, if you have a gift and a, and an interest to pursue that gift, we want to help you do that. And so, you know, we could put a worship band together that rivals, in my opinion, any band in the land, um, using the very best of the people we have in every role. We'd have, we have an amazing group of musicians. But any given weekend, we have people who are high-caliber, professional-level musicians, and we have people who are learning. Somebody who's like, you know, this last weekend we had a guy who was second time ever that he'd played the bass guitar in front of a group, you know, he, he'd been working on it, but it, it was his second time in front of people playing in a worship service. I love that. And yet, but to me, that's because to me, it's family. We're developing our family We're we're helping people pursue their passions and interests and, and we're helping them grow. And in order to do that, you have to have a forum for them to do that. And we're doing the same thing. And, you know, in our youth ministry, we have teenagers learning instruments, playing, and they're and they're they're leading worship for their own thing. Because I think mean, some people say, "Well, then let the people who are learning like practice on the youth." <laughs> no, we got youth practicing on the youth, and we have adults practicing in the adult environment. And and I think we accept that our quality production level m- measurement, if you were tracking it, like it, it varies from week to week. And that's okay because we are ultimately not about producing the highest production value every weekend. We are about developing as a family. Well, and I think one of our values that we often talk about is that we believe in kingdom investments. And when mm-hmm. we see ourselves, when we see part of what we're doing is developing these, yeah. developing these people, it's a kingdom investment. And sometimes those people go on to be worship leaders somewhere else right. or be part of a worship team somewhere else because they've been developed here and they've reached a quality now that they are, they are in a bigger church or whatever. And, and so y'all are welcome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I think of a young girl who was in our youth, began developing her voice. Um, some of it she did on her own. Some of it she did through our worship ministry. Mm-hmm. An amazing, beautiful voice, but now is part of the worship team of a, of a major Christian university. Mm. And 
that wouldn't have happened unless there are people out there going, we want to invest in you. Right. We want, you're a part of our family. So we invest in you. And I think sometimes, and I, I, I want to be careful how I say this, because I don't know how big churches function. But sometimes I think it's like going to a big high school, knowing that only 2% of, of the, the, the high school is ever going to make it on the football team. Yeah. You know, and even though there's people who could develop into those things, they never do because they can't, they're, they're shut down right away. Yeah. The bigger the school, the bigger the offensive line. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, in, and in our case, we look at it and say, the more people, the more people that are interested, the more people we can have engage yeah. in different pieces of our worship that we're going to put you in Saturday night or we're going to put you on Sunday morning because they're two different teams and mm-hmm. we're going to see where we can, we're going to put you in a video or we're going to, you know. Um, and again, I mean, this is where quality and the mindset overlap. If you are walking into a worship service and the the quality measurement, the only quality measurement that you're tracking in your head is, is this good for me? Then you, you will often be disappointed unless you're in a mega church. But if you're walking into a, a church service with a family oriented mindset, then your quality measurement is how are we doing of developing the people that we have? That's a different measurement, still a quality measurement, but it's the quality of development. And you can take great joy in that when you see that person who, you know, I, I've had some amazing joy. We've had a young lady in our worship ministry that started coming because her husband was a drummer in the band. And she would come and hang out while he was playing with the band. And then one day somebody kind of overheard her singing off to the side and said, you have a really great voice, but she was, oh, no, 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 I could never do that. And um, slowly but surely they kind of pulled her in and she began singing with the band and then she decided she wanted to learn an instrument and so she's she's she can play the piano now and she's growing in that skill and her confidence is growing and her expression is growing. And that to me, like I take more joy out of seeing the development of that than, than, than I do in, in us having something that, that could play on the radio. And I think it's just, it's, it's tied to that mindset about what are we there for? And that's, that's, that's very important. So, um, what about response? There's one little aspect of response. I don't think we really talked, we talked about you know, judge, you can't really judge somebody else's response. Um, you, you can't, you can't read into what's going on in their heart. Um, I think on the other side, sometimes we judge a worship service by how it moves us to response. So like, did I get goosebumps? Then it was a good worship service or did, you know, did I, did I get excited? It was a good worship service. I had a friend though once say this to me and I, I've never forgotten it. I think it's hilarious. Um, but he was reflecting on the emotionalism in songs and, and how some loves some, some worship songs could very easily double as a love song. If you just 
you know, changed Lord to girl, <laughs> you know, it, it would be an expression of love song. And, and he's like, does every worship song have to be an orgasmic experience? And I was just like, wow. Uh, but it was a good point. Like, does, you know, is it okay to just express something to God that is true? That doesn't necessarily have to be this, like, I'm at the end of my rope, pouring out my heart on like, you know, an ecstatic experience. Can, can it just be an expression of something that's true? And I think both are okay. Like our emotions can be involved at times should be involved, but worship is not just an emotional experience. It, it's also a, a, an experience of our will to say, I'm going to express these things to God because they're true, because he deserves it, whether I'm really feeling it or not. Cause sometimes like the, the deepest expression of worship is praise when you feel terrible. Mm-hmm. Like when you're upset, you're angry or you're hurt and you don't understand why things are, why God is allowing things in your life that you don't want to be in your life, but you stop to say, but you're worthy of my praise, even though I don't get you right now. That doesn't come with goosebumps. <laughs> that comes with tears, <laughs> Grit, gritted teeth mm-hmm. and so I think sometimes that's another aspect of, of response that we need to think about when we think about worship. Well, and I think it's really, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just be blunt about it. I think it's really arrogant to say everybody should have the same experience as I do. Mm, yeah. So if, because I think if you did a poll of people coming out, you would get this, this, this widespread of everything to, oh, it was great. It was the most beautiful experience to, I got nothing. Mm. It was, and there are so many um, aspects of what I'm going into worship with. If I'm having a great day, my worship might be much more praiseworthy, glorifying, that kind of thing. But if I'm coming in and, and, it's just been a horrible day. I might just be going, God, I need you right now. I just need to be in your presence right now. And again, it might be through grit and tears. And and sometimes it's just, you know what? It's been an okay day. The world's okay. I'm here. I'm, I'm here to worship. I'm here just to, to be in your presence. And, mm-hmm. and if we're always coming in with the attitude of, I'm going to be in your presence, that's worship. If I'm always coming in with the attitude, I've got to get something out of it, then that's that's almost a, a, a criticism or a condemnation of God. Why didn't you give me what I needed today? Hmm. And we've got to be really careful about yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. So do you think our judgment when it comes to like the worship space, is that just a indicative that we risk being judgmental kind of across the board that we have judgmental attitudes as Christians and and we're criticizing everything. Is, is it just, is it a worship problem or is it, is it a judgmentalism problem? That is a great question. Uh, and I think that, that we have to ask ourselves that, yeah. that if I'm being judgmental about all this, am I being judgmental in other areas of my life. I think about this. We used to take care of this uh, elderly lady 
and her name was Marie and, and just loved her to mm-hmm. death. But oftentimes would have spiritual conversations with her, just trying to figure out where she was and had she accepted Jesus and that kind of thing. And she said, she said to me one day, she goes, it's not that I don't believe. She said, but when I would go to church, I would hear people talk about, um, oh, look at that lady, how her hat's on wrong, or that I would never wear that to church. Or now this is, <laughs> this is, you know, 80 years ago. Yeah. Um, but she says, if that's what church is about, if church is about being judgmental, I didn't want to be a part of it because I don't think that that's what right. it should be. Right. And it raised the question in my mind about, you know, if I am, if I am judging my church, what am I judging other places where am i putting expectations where they don't belong right and so the you know i think it is a great question what what you just asked i think uh, anytime we indulge in a judgmental attitude um we've got to want we've got to be really cautious uh, i think jesus and and paul both in the scripture give us tons of warning about about judgment and and it's not that we should never pass judgment at all under any circumstances but there are very there's there's very few circumstances where where we're in that role to be judging um, and I think we have to be very very cautious very careful Jesus said you know I came to to not the healthy, but, but for the sick, like, mm-hmm. you know, a physician doesn't come to, to, to help healthy I didn't come, people. I didn't come to those who think they're righteous. I came to yeah. those who know they're sinners. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Paul uses different language, but he said, you know, that there's, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like we, if, if God isn't judging, if there's no condemnation for you, on the way that you worship, there's no condemnation for that person sitting that was worshiping differently than you are. Like we have to be very careful about judging other people's motives, their, their expressions, that kind of thing. And there are times, you know, I think where it's a, it's appropriate to confront. Um, but it ought to be done very humbly, very carefully, um, very thoughtfully. Um, and, and I just think that's something we have to be, we have to be very cautious about because here's the problem judgment sticks mm. it's not something that easily goes away Ooh, wow and good. so when i when i say i didn't like that sermon the next week i'm looking to see is it going to get better is it going to get worse is it going to get is it going to be the same thing is it because i've already set that judgment and that judgment sticks now mm. And that's why judgment is so dangerous for us to be engaged in when God is really the only one who has the right to do that. We have, I think you're right. I think there are points when we say we have a responsibility to help correct when somebody is doing something sinfully wrong. But when we start to judge on my opinion, it not only harms the person that I'm placing the judgment against, but it harms me. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it sticks to me and causes me 
a dark spot that that I don't want in my life. And so I think we have to be really careful about that. Yeah, and I've heard you say this before, so I'm going to I'm going to insert it in cuz you didn't it may harm you, but it may also harm someone else. Mm-hmm. Not and not even the person you're judging. I mean like when when you pass that judgment and you make a comment like, "Man, I just didn't really care for that sermon today." Then the person that you offhandedly make that comment to is like, "Oh, well, I mean, I thought it was fine, but now I guess I'll go back and think through and and be in retroactively pass judgment on it, or maybe the next time they come, they're like, I don't know, like, like, do I do I need to be more like you know they they may come the next time with a more judgmental filter or lens mm-hmm. on their listening rather than just being open to what God might have for them, and so I think it. It may not may not just affect you and the object of your judgment, but it may affect people in your orbit that that are now put off by that judgment. Yeah, and it goes back to judgment sticks, and it may not even the person you're judging up stage on stage may never hear it. The person next to you may have heard it mm-hmm. that you're directing the conversation to, but it may also be heard by the person behind you. Mm who just happens to be hearing the conversation. Yeah. And that's just a dangerous place to be. Yeah. I think, you know, to me, the the big picture, the beautiful picture is you show up on a, on a weekend at church and you're you're there with your family, some of whom you may have seen during the week at different things, some of whom you may only see on the weekend, but it's like that special time that you get to gather with this family. Um, and And then during that time together, a group of people have prepared to lead in worship and and to help help the family express something to God that God deserves to hear. And, and they're up there doing their best to model that expression to God. And, you know, some of them are stretched way out of their comfort zone and you don't realize it. Some of them are in their sweet spot and they're loving it. And that like, all of that is beautiful. It's really beautiful. And, as you join with them, they're encouraged. And that's, that's why sometimes the, like the, the atmosphere, the mood of a worship service feels like it's just building and mm-hmm. building because they're trying to do something and you're responding and that makes them more engaged and then you more engaged. And, and it's this beautiful like build. And when we live with that kind of sense of this is what we're about together and then you know, and then if it transitions and we're talking about the scripture or something, the focus does change because it's something that maybe applies to us that we can, that's, that's for us. But ultimately the way you continue in worship, even through like a sermon is the way you're giving your attention to God. Like there's this openness, there's this what do you have for me, God? Because I want to be receptive. I want to. I want to honor you by listening to your word and listening to how it might apply to my life and being willing to commit myself. Like that's all beautiful um, and unique in our culture. Like 
that kind of stuff doesn't really happen somewhere else. Um, it's a fairly unique thing to the to the church experience, and so that's what it can be. That's what we should aspire for it to be, and we need to have the grace with each other to allow for the difference of preference, to allow for the difference in quality, to allow for the difference of response, and 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 just celebrate that we get to do this together. And we're so lucky here that we get to do it. Like we don't have to go hide in a cave somewhere and you know, or get into someone's basement. Like we, we have the freedom to do this publicly. We have the freedom to do this proudly and boldly without fear of reprisal. Like what a, what a gift to us that I think we just, we so often take for granted and I'd love to see us just embrace it more and more. And I think there, I mean, if somebody said, what is your life first, which I don't know if I have a life first or a life philosophy or anything like that, but Something that has always resonated deep, deep, deep in my heart is is the scriptures that says, think more highly of others than you do of yourself. Mm. When I'm in worship and I see those people up there, maybe I should be thinking, well, I can't play guitar. I can't sing. I, you know, or thank God they are willing to do that. Thank God that they're willing to show up two hours early. And, and put together the, the mm-hmm. this set or yeah. thank you that they're willing to sacrifice their time. You know, even though I show up 15 minutes late to church, <laughs> I, sorry, there was a left-handed little, dig. Little judgment. Day. Yeah. <laughs> Did it stick? <laughs> but my I point re- being I is I reject that, your judgment. Thank you. <laughs> it's pretty sad when the, when the pastor shows up 15 minutes late um, and you never do it. That's a joke. I just, I think that, that if we walk into worship and we're looking to say, I'm here to worship God and thank, thank you, Lord, that you brought these people to, to mm. do it with me. I think that's a huge step in saying we're, we're here to worship, mm. you know? That's good. I think that's a great place to end. This has been a fun conversation. I think we weren't entirely sure if we'd had enough to talk about. I think we had plenty. <laughs> we could probably go on for another hour, but yeah. I mean, in some ways it's, it's really a conversation about judgment. It's just in the context of what happens in church worship. And I think it's a, um, a great place where we could grow and, and show a side of Christ that our culture really needs to see this side that is, that is graceful and warm and, and, and thoughtful about involving people. For me, I feel like this conversation has has caused me to say, I need to be a little bit more sensitive to how I say things or what I'm looking at. Or so it was, it was, I I hope it's been encouraging and a little convicting to you because I know it's been encouraging and convicting to me. Yeah, it makes me, and it also makes me even more so looking forward to worship this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I hope this inspires faith-filled conversations for you. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next time on Resisting Free Time.